Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists. Each month, we bring you the science behind today's most important health topics. Coffee Conversations is brought to you by Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. It's a statewide nonprofit which works to improve health and advance health equity in Wisconsin. I am Nicole Lohr. I'm an associate professor of medicine in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine. And I am absolutely delighted and thrilled to be able to bring this coffee conversation to you uh, with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jennifer McIntosh. Dr. McIntosh is an associate professor of maternal fetal medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And she's a clinician at the Freighter and Medical College of Wisconsin Maternal Fetal Medicine Program. In this program, she cares for women with high-risk pregnancy issues. She's also a member of our Cardiovascular Research Center at the Medical College of Wisconsin. A little bit of background about Dr. McIntosh before we get started. Um, Dr. McIntosh received her Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine from Michigan State University in 2007, and then went on to complete her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the Indiana University School of Medicine in 2011. In 2013 and 2014, um, she received a master's degree in clinical and translational science as while she was completing her fellowship in maternal fetal medicine. Both of those were completed at the University of Oklahoma's Health Sciences Center. So Dr. McIntosh comes to us board certified in obstetrics and gynecology as well as maternal fetal medicine. And her areas of interest have overlapped with mine for the last couple of years, which includes preeclampsia, preterm birth, and rare blood disorders in pregnancy. Jen, it's so welcome. I'm so happy to welcome you to Coffee Conversations. Thanks, Nicole. It's really nice to be here. So I'm going to give a rundown for you and everybody about how um, we'd like to format the next, you know, 30 to 45 minutes. Um, but what I want to do is really start off with you by covering a list of questions really behind the science of cardiovascular health and pregnancy. And as we, you and I both know, both of those topics really overlap. And so let's kind of delve into misconceptions, risks, and how do we, how do we um, recommend good prevention? And for those of you in the audience, I encourage all of you who are watching us to drop any questions you have into the topic, into the comments, and we'll be getting to those as many as we can um, during the course of this, uh, this half hour. So without further ado, I'm gonna get started. And so Jen, I'm gonna throw out just a really straightforward question about building you know, the knowledge base for our audience. In your words, how do you define cardiovascular health? So cardiovascular health is most simply defined as the health that relates to the heart, as well as all the blood vessels in the body. It encompasses things like high blood pressure, which can also be called hypertension, things like heart attacks, strokes, heart failure, heart rhythm problems, heart valve problems. And of course, my, uh, my own area of interest, preeclampsia, which is a disease that only occurs in, in pregnant women. So why, from your vantage point, um, as someone who deals with pregnancy, um, why do you, why should women be aware of, car of cardiovascular health and how does that affect, you know, possible risks for them during pregnancy? So I think um, one of the reasons that organizations like the American Heart Association and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists 
um, have really focused their attention on cardiovascular health in pregnancy has been this realization that it is now the leading cause of pregnancy-related death in the U.S. And about two-thirds of these deaths uh, could likely have been prevented. So therefore, um, we want to empower patients to know um, that cardiovascular health is important in pregnancy and that there are risk factors to be aware of as well as ways to optimize risk. We can kind of think about pregnancy as like a stress test on your heart. Um, most people don't think about that when they think about pregnancy, but your heart um, is forced to work so much harder in pregnancy because of the growing um, uterus and, and baby. And so therefore um, it's, it's sort of like a stress test. So it, it sort of uncovers problems that you might not even know you have. And so um, it's important for you to be aware of cardiovascular risk just in becoming pregnancy, but it's, it's also important for your health because what happens to you in pregnancy can can directly impact long-term cardiovascular health after your pregnancy. I think it's just a, you know, you and I've had this conversation in the past, but to just loop in our audience, I mean, it's astounding to me in 2022 that cardiovascular, well, first of all, maternal mortality is increasing, right? And then it's really cardiovascular diseases that are, are, are causing this mortality. And, you know, you talk about that as the number one cause, but, you know, so what would our audience, what are examples of some of the cardiovascular related like health complications that can occur during pregnancy so women can, can understand that when they are thinking about getting pregnant? So um, we've, we've kind of touched on it a couple of times now, and we'll probably touch on it a lot more times, um, but high blood pressure, hypertension, and preeclampsia um, is really the sort of the hallmark um, cardiovascular disease that can happen to someone who wouldn't even expect it to happen, someone who is unaware that they could have a, a cardiovascular disease in pregnancy. So being aware that that diagnosis can happen cause um, issues. And then, um, sorry, that's all right. I was like, oh, emergency. Okay. Um, sorry, we're in the hospital and somebody needs what happens, here. right? <laughs> um, actually, I uh, will let that, but you know, we start, we throw around high blood pressure, right? We throw around preeclampsia. Right. Um, what is preeclampsia? So preeclampsia is a multi-system disorder that sort of starts at its mildest form with, with elevated blood pressure, high blood pressure. And that number that we use in pregnancy, um, when you get your blood pressure taken, that top number is 140 and that bottom number of 90. Anything higher than that in pregnancy is not normal. Um, and so if you've never had high blood pressure and those numbers pop up, that becomes something that we call hypertension and, and specifically gestational hypertension when it happens in the second half of pregnancy. That can go on to develop preeclampsia. And preeclampsia is a disorder that can, that can affect every single organ in your body. It can affect the brain, it can affect the heart, it can affect your lungs, it can affect your liver, it can affect your blood vessels, it can affect the baby. Um, and it's, an, it's what we call endothelial um, disorder, which means that it affects the little um, vessels or the cells that line the vessels um, throughout your body. And it can, because of that, it can affect all the different systems in your body can mean that a woman needs to deliver early. It can mean that her baby doesn't grow as well. It can, and then it's worse, it can cause strokes and seizures and even, and even in death. Um, it's rare that it causes death in the US, thankfully, but it is a very high cause of maternal mortality um, in less developed countries. Well, 
You know, I, I think the best kinds of conversations is to have one. And I see one that came in that we're talking about preeclampsia because from my vantage point as a cardiologist, um, the ramifications of having someone with who carries a diagnosis of preeclampsia is really important for their long-term cardiovascular risk as you and I are talking about. Um, but we have a member in our audience um, who developed severe early onset preeclampsia at 20 weeks. And um, she lost her girl at 22 weeks um, in order to save her life. And for that, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Um, her question, is there any new research or knowledge in the past couple of years about people who have very early preeclampsia? And you started to kind of touch on a little bit of that, but it would be great if you could expound for our audience a bit more. Sure. So um, we're learning, we're trying to learn as much as we can about preeclampsia, which is, has existed as long as women have been having babies, but that we've clinically really been able to characterize and recognize since about the 1950s or 60s. And we're doing the best we can to understand the disease as much as possible. Um, so sort of the, the mainstay of therapy is to try and control the blood pressure as long and as much as we can um, and, and gain as much gestational time as we can that's safe to the mom. But you, our, um, our writer of this question um, has kind of really pointed out one of the really awful things about preeclampsia is that when it happens so early, it can be a risk to a mom's life. Um, and, and, and sometimes that means that the, the baby is unable to survive and that's just heart-wrenching for everyone. I wish I could tell, tell, tell you that there was some new therapy that could truly prevent that. One thing we have come up with that, that we do know works to some extent is, is aspirin. So a baby dose aspirin, which is 81 milligrams. And so when women who meet particular risk factors, one of them being having had preeclampsia before, um, if you take a baby aspirin starting at the end of your first trimester throughout the pregnancy, it does re reduce your risk for getting preeclampsia again. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for every woman every time, but as of right now, that's sort of the, the that plus, you know, being monitored extremely carefully are the, the best um, medicine that we have for preeclampsia. And I think um, Nicole knows this, and we talk about this all the time on some of our collaborative work, that lack of a treatment for preeclampsia is what drives my own personal research. Um, I look at placenta blood vessels in my lab to try and figure out what's different about the placenta um, in preeclampsia with really my long-term big picture goal is to figure out what medications we can develop um, that could safely treat pregnant women and treat preeclampsia. Because right now we, we don't have great therapeutics. We have a baby aspirin that can you know, help decrease your risk. We have blood pressure medicines that can really help us control the disease for a while, but in some women, that's not enough. And as an obstetrician, that's, um, I, I don't like when I don't have enough to offer my patients. Thank you for um, reminding us how important um, research really is. And I think one of the best parts of working in an academic institution like MCW is really the fact that we can collaborate. You know, I think back of the first time that we, sat down and, you know, I said, I want to study vessels. And you're like, me too. And, and pretty soon we're, we're trying to think a little bit outside of the box of, of what we can do to bring eventual therapies um, for our, our patients. So um, I think what I'm always curious about, and I hope our, our listeners are too, is, is, you know, are there certain populations of women 
really that are more susceptible to some of these cardiovascular complications. And, and really, why is that? So um, that's a really good question and one that I think women should be very aware of. Um, so the top risk factor for having a cardiovascular um, complication of pregnancy is age and that specifically that age is about 40. So um, unfortunately, um, pregnancy favors the young. Um, and as we age, our bodies age, we pick up more medical diagnoses ourselves. Um, and pregnancy is a lot more challenging and more difficult. And um, we know that when we look at cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, when a woman is above the age of 40, those risks do um, go up quite a bit. Um, the second thing that we are very well aware of is that um, race plays a really big role um, in cardiovascular disease and pregnancy. Um, most notably women who are black or of native, um, native American women um, are at highest risk for cardiovascular death and pregnancy. And so um, we're really trying to get a handle on why that is the case. We, we, um, we don't have um, big picture answers. We know that racism contributes significantly to that. But um, there are lots of initiatives, including one really big one by the American Heart Association, trying to get at that underpinnings of why do uh, Black women and Native American women have um, such disparate outcomes um, for cardiovascular disease and pregnancy. Um, the other things that contribute um, a little bit less so than those two, but certainly are big ones, are having high blood pressure or hypertension before you get pregnant. So if you carry that diagnosis before you get pregnant, then you're at much higher risk for having pregnancy complications, including your baby not growing well enough and for getting preeclampsia, among some other things. Um, and then finally, obesity is a big factor. Our whole society um, is, is getting bigger. And um, when you have a BMI, um, which is body mass index, that's essentially your weight over your um, divided by your height. Um, if it's above, that number is about 30 or 40, those are sort of the two different cut points we look at. Your risks are much higher than the general population for cardiovascular risk. And, and that, that sort of parallels what we see in the non-pregnant population as well. We know that just humans with, um, with increased body mass index are at increased risk for cardiovascular um, events. And so that, that holds true in pregnancy. Um, so those are sort of the, the top ones that we know contribute the most to cardiovascular disease and pregnancy and preeclampsia. Um, there's certainly if you were born with a preexisting um, heart um, disease that's called congenital, uh, congenital heart defect, that certainly changes your pregnancy and makes it a lot risky too. And then other medical diagnoses that you kind of accumulate through life, things like diabetes, um, thyroid disease, other things of that nature can impact your pregnancy. I was going to ask you about diabetes because I think that is one um, early on we, I mean, I've had two children. We are, we're always so focused on getting those glucose tolerance tests and making sure that we don't end up with gestational diabetes um, because that, that can relate to preeclampsia. Yeah, women who have gestational diabetes, regardless of how well it's controlled or not, of course, we, we really want our patients to, to work on getting that good tight control to prevent um, worse outcomes. But just having that diagnosis does increase your risk for cardiovascular disease during pregnancy, primarily preeclampsia. But it doesn't just do that in pregnancy. So I think that's the thing that, you know, people who have gestational diabetes, they breathe a sigh of relief when the baby gets here, right? Like, oh, I don't have to follow that diabetic diet anymore. I don't have to be on that insulin injection. Um, but unfortunately, there's a, there's a large portion of women who have diabetes in pregnancy that ultimately go on to either 
get diabetes later down the road, five years or more usually um, down the road or have cardiovascular events. Um, and so, you know, having that gestational diabetes diagnosis is, should raise a little red flag in a woman's mind. Like I don't just get to like breathe a sigh of relief that it's over when the pregnancy is over. Um, I need to like file that in the back of my, my brain and know that I need to discuss it with my doctor every year so that I can make sure that I'm optimizing my health and staying as healthy as I can. I, I want to touch on that later because again, the analogy to a stress test, I think all of us can visualize, you know, we're, um, you know, we get on a treadmill, we're going to push ourselves to see how far we can go, but really pregnancy does that. And it's not just for gestational diseases, but yeah, I mean, a wake up call for gestational diabetes or preeclampsia is a great way to say, Hey, I need to be serious about my long-term health. Cause the more that we see the longer it, these are lifetime problems, right? We're just fortunate enough, I think, to find them out early yeah. and maybe we can make some changes. Um, but you know, we talk about, you know, populations that are more susceptible. I want to jump back into the chat box a bit. Um, and forgive me, I'm going off my phone for the chat box, but, you know, a mental health professional put this in the chat box. I'm wondering how stress and trauma impacts pregnancy and what can be done to manage and support this, which I also think is an excellent point just in general for cardiovascular health, but I'm going to throw it over because we're talking about pregnancy. Yeah. So we, I think that's a, I think that's a great question and it's one that is really, um, it's being explored sort of as we speak and data is coming out. But adverse child, um, childhood experiences or ACEs um, is starting, that data is starting to be collected and then just stress in general and how it relates um, to cardiovascular disease and specifically to um, pregnancy-related stress um, and preeclampsia. We know um, the COVID pandemic actually gave us quite a bit of unanticipated data on that, that just the stress of a global pandemic on society in general translated to worse pregnancy outcomes um, for women. And there was, a, there was a distinct correlation between increased stress and, and poor outcomes. So we know that some of our um, lower, our, um, our racial minority populations um, experience much more lived stress than, than some of our non-minority populations. And yes, I mean, is that is the stress alone something that's that's causing those adverse um, cardiovascular diseases? Uh, the jury's still out, um, but it is being studied and studied. And in fact, there's an um, uh, American Heart Association study that one of my partners, Dr. Plotnick, is actually has going up and running right now, where she's um, recruiting women to follow them to um, people who would be at risk for preeclampsia, um, and giving some intervention of essentially stress reduction techniques to try and see if that will change outcomes. So there are, um, again, being part of an academic institution, I, it's nice to be able to highlight some of those real life um, questions that are actually being translated into research that are happening right here at, um, at our institution. So I think we will have a lot more data on that as, as time, time unfolds, but we know that there's something to it, um, figuring out exactly how to, to prevent it and what kind of support we can give, um, I think is where we're trying to go next. I'm going to, um, there's a, as you can guess, there's a lot of preeclampsia questions, right? Sure. So I'm gonna, before we start talking about healthy behaviors and what we can do to modify, I think that some of these just in general, um, I think we can address mm -hmm. um, from the audience, what, what if preeclampsia occurred during labor with the first pregnancy, but not the second? 
Should I be worried with the third? And also, what should I look for in my postpartum years, cardiovascular wise? So those are that. That's an excellent series of questions. So um, preeclampsia, generally, the you're most at risk for developing preeclampsia during your first pregnancy. Um, that's not to say that you can't develop it in other pregnancies, but it's a good sign that if you you didn't get it in your second pregnancy, if you keep the same partner, because there's some things about different partners that sort of changes what we know about preeclampsia, which is also very interesting. We can talk about that a bit more stuff if someone wants me to, but um, as long as you're with the same partner in that third pregnancy, if you didn't have it in your second, you're less likely to have it in your third. That being said, if things have changed about your, your weight or if you develop chronic hypertension or have become medically complex or all of a sudden now you're over the age of 40, um, then those risks kind of change a little bit. But in general, when women come to me and they say, I had it my first time around, it was just at when I was delivering, it wasn't early, I didn't get it my second time around, you're at low risk of getting it your third time around. So that's good news. Um, the follow-up question that you had is what should I do? So even though I had it one time, what should I do long-term? And so I think the biggest thing that I tell um, women is to make sure they tell their primary care doctor that they had preeclampsia. Primary care doctors are, are finally um, asking that question. It was in the American Heart Association's um, uh, list of risk factors that are cardiac specific risk factors for cardiac health for women finally, finally showed up there. Um, and Nicole, you and I looked at that with some of our team members here specifically at, at what, per, when those guidelines just first rolled out, how many of our primary care doctors were asking that question? And the uptake has unfortunately been slow, but uh, we've worked on educational intervention and with that intervention, um, doctors are more, um, aware of that now. So definitely talk to your primary care doctor about um, preeclampsia as a risk factor for you for cardiovascular disease. So those annual visits with your doctor, um, making sure they're checking your, your blood pressure um, at, at a particular age, you'll, they'll, they'll offer lipid screening um, and they'll do cardiovascular risk scoring. There's also the medical college is really fortunate to have a preventive um, health clinic. And so if you preventive cardiovascular health clinic. Mm -hmm. And if you have risk factors for cardiac disease, like preeclampsia um, or others or family history or, or anything of that nature, um, that clinic is a great place to go and get plugged in and get risk assessment and some really um, good advice on what else you can do to help prevent longer term down the road cardiovascular disease. I think those are all really good steps. I think from, from my vantage point as, as an adult cardiologist is really to to um, alert the, the women in this audience to be vocal about their pregnancy history. It is, we're really focused on preeclampsia, I think, because there's a lot, there's a lot of interest in it. I think there's a, a you know, we've kind of oftentimes use that word a little bit loosely in the public, not between like you and I. And so let your doctors know, did you have premature birth? You know, sometimes you didn't, you might not have known you had preeclampsia, or that was the driver of your preterm birth, you know, but just that or preterm birth in general also can, yes. can have cardiovascular risk. Yeah. That's so, another one that people don't really think about just because, you know, I had a 36 weeker, I had a 32 weeker just for unknown reasons, just having that baby early has drive some later cardiovascular risk, having that gestational diabetes. So I think anything that wasn't a perfectly normal pregnancy 
those are things to talk about with your doctor long-term. So, you know, knowing your health and expressing that to your doctor so that they know it is part of your history is really important. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to, um, to kind of think about, you know, things you can do to make change, you know, lifestyle changes. Someone asked in the chat about um, Hopkins um, looking at reduced risk of preeclampsia by eating a Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. Anything to add there? Yeah, so um, I, I think it's great that these studies like that are out there. Um, I can tell you that there have been studies that have looked at vitamin C and vitamin E and calcium and um, antioxidants, um, such as like you might see it on the over the counter as coenzyme, things of that nature. Um, those clinical trials have been done. And unfortunately, they didn't show that they really worked for all women. They've worked in small, in sort of on some levels in small subgroups, but we haven't figured out how to target um, vitamins or sort of healthy eating um, to prevent preeclampsia. Um, I think I'll be very curious to see the Hopkins results of of a Mediterranean diet. It makes sense to me that if you're eating healthily, that your your preeclampsia risk should be lower. That said, you know, I see, very healthy fit women who end up with preeclampsia. So there is an element of preeclampsia that's not as predictable as we would like it to be. I, I, I call the disease predictably unpredictable. And so I think we as a, as a field are recognizing that and we're recognizing that there's a spectrum, that it's not all the preeclampsia looks the same. Some women get it super early and super severe. Other women don't, you know, it's just sort of a blip on the thing that happens at their delivery or might be the reason that they deliver. Um, and it doesn't happen until their term. And so their consequences seem a lot more mild than those who get it earlier, who have really severe disease. And figuring out why some women have that really bad preeclampsia and others have a very mild experience and yet others, you know, most women don't get it at all. We're really trying to understand that whole spectrum. No, absolutely. And I, I suspect, you know, we're using one diagnosis for many and um, as we as we start to do really more um, detailed analysis of some of these smaller subsets of women, we may actually find out there might be you know differences that are really important that separate them. So um, I think um, again, preeclampsia is something that's really dramatic. I think in our minds, and we want to be able to to make sure that women not only go on to deliver a healthy baby, but then have a a healthy life after. Um, And so so I wanna kind of shift the focus to heart health um, and what we can do in the long run. Um, But before I do that, as a follow-up question to the the, um, multiple gestations and one, the first one had preeclampsia and then would it hurt? So the question is, should I still take baby aspirin if I'm low risk in my third pregnancy? Ah, that's a really good question. And I can tell you that if you lined up a bunch of maternal fetal medicine specialists, you'd probably get some varied answers. So sort of the guidelines say prior preeclampsia, you should take um, a baby aspirin. But those same guidelines say, if you are a multiparous woman, meaning you've had multiple babies, that you're at low risk for having preeclampsia. So it's sort of that balance of risk factors. Is a baby aspirin likely to, to 
hurt the pregnancy. No, we wouldn't be giving it if it's going to hurt normal women who have normal pregnancies. Some people have advocated just putting baby aspirin in a prenatal vitamin and that all women could benefit from it. We're not there yet. Um, but I think taking the baby aspirin is, is a bit of a choice in your situation. There are certainly some advantages and those would rec who'd recommend it because you did have preeclampsia, but there's others that say, well, you didn't have it last time and you're, you're, you've had multiple pregnancies at this point. And so you don't need it. So I do think there's a little bit of um, discussion and a patient-centered decision about whether it makes sense for you or not would be um, what I would do if you were sitting in my office. Well, and quite honestly, I think it also underscores the need for all of us as patients. So I'm going to put my patient hat on is to really engage in, in sharing that decision with your doctor. So, um, find, find a doctor for you that you're comfortable with, that you're not only willing to share some of these, you know, really, um, you know, personal, I think of your, my pregnancy and my pregnancy health, that's a really personal thing. And you don't always think it, everybody appreciates it or relates to it. Find that person that you click with, because then you can have real conversations looking at your risks and your benefits for having, um, for having, um, you know, any intervention, whether it be aspirin or something else. So um, what should women do uh, throughout their pregnancy to best manage their heart health? Yes. So I think um, to have a heart healthy pregnancy, the first thing I would encourage women to do is to sit down and talk to their primary doctor or their primary OBGYN, um, in particular an OBGYN or a maternal fetal medicine physician and have what we call a preconception visit. So this occurs when you're sort of contemplating pregnancy. So before you get pregnant, you sort of ask the question, um, what do I need to do to make sure I'm my healthiest self before I get pregnant? So it, this particular kind of visit will allow your doctor to discuss your risks and help you kind of optimize anything that could be put you at higher risk. Um, so things that patients um, can do, um, even if you don't go to a physician and have a preconception consultation and have them tell you what to do, there are some things that you can do yourself. And those include making sure that your body is a healthy weight. Um, and so, and eating a heart healthy diet, Mediterranean diet is one of them that's, um, that we know is heart healthy. Um, there are certain others <laughs> that are also heart healthy, but making sure that you have a healthy diet and, um, healthy exercise lifestyle, um, the AHA recommends 150 minutes of exercise every week. Um, certainly exercise is really important in maintaining that healthy heart health. Um, and then finally quitting any unhealthy habits, um, most notably tobacco use or smoking during pregnancy. And that does include, um, tobacco, it includes vaping and it includes things like marijuana, um, which a lot of people don't think impacts a pregnancy. And, and now that it's legal in certain places, we're getting more and more data that it does impact pregnancy. So quitting any unhealthy habits such as smoking and drug use is really important for a healthy pregnancy. And then finally, um, one that a lot of women don't think about is taking a prenatal vitamin before you get pregnant. Um, that prenatal vitamin, particularly that folic acid that's in the prenatal vitamin is most useful to your body before you actually even conceive. So if you take a prenatal vitamin while you're trying to get pregnant, that's the best time to really take it and then continue it on throughout the pregnancy. But really taking it beforehand is, is a good thing. And um, just kind of a follow-up to that, you know, if I have, if I have diabetes or thyroid disease, where does the thyroid play into the, into that conversation as well? So the, with a, with a thyroid um, disease, we just want to make sure that your thyroid hormones are well controlled. So whether it's your primary care doctor or your endocrinologist who's managing that, we want to make sure that you're right in that target level 
you're going to stay in that target level and that someone is following that each trimester of pregnancy because with the hormones of pregnancy and the weight changes, um, the, that hormone level will change as well. So making sure that someone is monitoring it and that you're staying in that nice range um, will decrease your risks of pregnancy. But because we know that, that the um, thyroid disease, a lot of it is like autoimmune based, just because of that autoimmune aspect, that does elevate your risk a little bit for preeclampsia, not as much as some of those other risk factors, but it's just something to be aware of. There's nothing that you would do proactively other than just being aware of that. Um, and it's really more for those um, with hyperthyroidism than hypo, but it applies to both um, in terms of the risk factors. And then- well, Oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, you said the diabetes too. The biggest thing as it relates to diabetes is good um, blood sugar control. So we know that good blood sugar control really helps keep a, a, a woman healthy during pregnancy and keeps her fetus healthy as well. Um, so we know that uh, you know keeping your hemoglobin A1C below seven um, really is ideal when you're conceiving. It helps prevent birth um, anomalies or abnormalities, deformations. Um, and so really, and then it, and it has cardiovascular impact as well on the mom. So really, um, if you're a diabetic, the best thing you can do for your pregnancy health is making sure that you're on a regimen. Um, and whether that's just dietary modification or an oral medication, or whether it's insulin, you know, everyone's a little different, but working with your doctor to make sure that you're at your target hemoglobin A1C before you get pregnant is really important. Well, you always do such a good job um, because one of our chat questions was, what about thyroid disease and preeclampsia? So you just rolled into that one with us. <laughs> I'm just making sure. Um, is there anything that I've missed that you think that's important for our audience to know? I think, I think so. So I kind of talked a little bit about the pre-existing conditions and we spent a little bit of time there, but I, I do want to just put that out there that women with pre-existing conditions shouldn't be afraid to get pregnant but they really need to take some extra steps. And so patients with pre-existing conditions may need to plan their pregnancy a little bit more carefully. So with their primary care doctor or their specialist, whoever they see, you know, whether it's an endocrine disorder or whether they, have, they were born with a heart defect and follow along with a particular cardiologist or they have some kidney disease, um, you know, we know that not everyone can be perfectly healthy, right? We all have un un unexpected um, health diagnoses. But what we know is that when you work really closely with your doctors before you get pregnant, your health outcomes can be more optimized. And so we recommend that you see a maternal fetal medicine specialist prior to pregnancy, talk about what those risks are, are those risks reasonable to you? And then what kind of steps can we take to make sure your health is optimized? Um, and, and in particular, um, medical college does preconception visits in our office. We also have a, two very specialized clinics, which I, I like to talk about because um, I, I think we're, we're it's, it's exciting that we have them. So if you were if you are someone that has a cardiac disease, and whether that's one that you were born with or one that you've acquired, such as high blood pressure or had a heart attack or a stroke or anything of that nature, there's a cardiac diseases and pregnancy clinic that happens um, that's run by, um, it's a really nice experience where one of Nicole's colleagues, um, cardiologist, and one of my colleagues, they see patients together in the same place at the same time. So it really makes sure that teams are on the same page. So you can have a preconception visit there, or if you are pregnant, you can get your care in that clinic and have those specialists collaborating together. And then we also have a clinic um, that's um, 
deals with um, blood disorders in pregnancy. So we have a maternal fetal medicine hematology clinic and it's run by myself and my hematology colleague. And it's the same idea. We see the women with you know, those really complex blood disorders. We see them together, we follow them along. Um, we do preconception consults. We do co-management with their primary obstetrician. We do full management. We do a delivery planning visit. And so I think, I think the point of me talking about this is you shouldn't be scared of getting pregnant, but you should be empowered to make sure that you're using the resources around you to guide you through that pregnancy as safely as possible. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, it's amazing the number of resources that we have available and, um, and really how strongly we've, we've worked at um, Freighted and the Medical College in order to recognize that women are different. Mm -hmm. And they have not just with respect to pregnancy, but just in general, that some of these, some of the overlaps that we see in pregnancy are just really kind of the beginnings of what could happen um, later on. And I, um, before we close, I also think it's important that we just spend one minute talking about, um, you know, what happens in the, after you give birth. So a lot of people have this huge sigh of relief. Okay, I have this beautiful baby. Okay, now I have to take care of this baby. But you know, there are some disorders. I think about peripartum cardiomyopathy um, that women need to, to recognize that, you know, there's tired and like wow, overwhelmed after the baby, but then there's there might, you know, there could be something else going on. So absolutely. I think that's a really important um point to point out is that your pregnancy health doesn't necessarily end the day the baby is born. It it's gonna take your body that full six week time to sort of heal from being pregnant and delivering. And so postpartum or peripartum cardiomyopathy is certainly one of the diagnoses that is troubling to us as obstetricians and, and cardiologists um, and can happen unexpectedly in the, in the postpartum state. And I think sometimes we as women, we just sort of power through, right? Like we're tired because we're feeding the baby and we're not sleeping and we don't feel well, but that's just because we're not sleeping enough. And we just had a baby and we're exhausted. And I think a lot of times we just say, oh, this is okay. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just going to be fine. And instead we, we, we just sort of push off those things that should maybe be little red flags. And so I think it's important for women to go home from the hospitals knowing the warning signs of preeclampsia, as well as the warning signs of sort of any of the big problems that happen in the postpartum period. Most women go through the postpartum period just fine, right? right? They, they just have that exhaustion and that challenge of coping with it, with the sort of how their life has been turned upside down by a new baby. Um, but other women do have real challenges. Some of them related to their heart and some, you can get preeclampsia after you leave the hospital. I think that's another thing that I like people to leave with is that it is a disease related to pregnancy in the placenta, but there is a very small amount of women, number of women that can get it in that first week postpartum, um, even as far as six weeks postpartum, but typically in that first week postpartum. So um, making sure that if you don't feel well, if you have a headache, if you have visual disturbances, um, if you feel like your heart is either beating too fast or beating real slow, or just your chest feels funny, um, heavy or tired, um, not breathing well, those are things that you would really want to call a doctor about. Well, Jen, I have just, the time has flown by. Um, I don't know about all of you in the audience, but I could keep going on, but I know that we, are, we have a fixed amount of time. Um, I want to, um, I just want to say one thing, are there resources um, or 
or can we post resources? Um, I think there's some that we'll be putting in the chat. I pulled some primarily from the American Heart Association as well as the National Institutes of Health. Um, and they kind of summarize a lot of what we just talked about today. So those are really good um, resources to look at and review. And again, as we sort of talked about having that partnership with a physician that you trust to have that conversation of what are my risks? What can I do to lower those risks? How can I safely have a baby? And how can I safely you know, be cared for after I've had any of these things go on in pregnancy? Um, and we, Nicole and I talk about all the, this all the time is that part, we feel very strongly that women need to be vocal for their own health care and they need to find a doctor that'll listen to them. Um, and so we hope that what we've talked about today will give you some more of that knowledge that will really empower you to, to take care of your own health. Wow. I mean, this has just been, a, I'm, I get goosebumps every time I talk about this because I feel we're getting the message out. Um, in many different ways that, you know, women and their health is important. Um, so with that, I want to thank you, Jen. Um, Dr. McIntosh, I think has been an absolute fantastic guest. Um, this is the first time I've ever gotten to host this. So this was really cool. And I appreciate um, Advancing Healthier Wisconsin and the Medical College for the opportunity to do this. Um, and honestly, I want to thank all of you. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Um, this the, Women's cardiovascular health and pregnancy is an incredibly important topic. So Jen, thank you. No problem. And I think um, they'll probably drop a, an email in the, um, in the links that they're posting to our tech people. Yeah. And if you have questions about the coffee conversations, that's sort of the place for further questions. And I guess we'll be back not me personally, but uh, <laughs> coffee conversations yeah. <laughs> back next month. Yeah, so if we didn't get to your question um, or you want to look for some of this, please feel free to uh, email us at conversations uh, at mcw.edu. And as Jen alluded, we'll be back next month uh, for another virtual coffee break and conversation with a scientist. So have a great day. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.